Hello everyone, this podcast is with Nick Karadza. I sat down with Tom a couple weeks ago to pick his brain about life in general, and so I wanted to do the same with Nick. We had a great wide-ranging conversation on all sorts of topics. Nick's own journey into investing, reflecting back at what he's built for himself, how he balances the different aspects of his life, his no-nonsense attitude for getting things done, and his views on what it takes to live life on your own terms, and what he also sees holding other people back from doing so. I feel like listening to Tom and Nick chat on podcasts, whether it's them talking to each other or me getting to chat with them now pull me years ahead in setting up my life on my terms. And so I know you likely feel the same way as I do too, because you're a listener of the show. So if you do feel that way, the same way that you're learning from the show, getting value from Tom, Nick, and all the guests and using the information to set up your life on your terms, then I wanted to ask a big favor from you, please. And that is if you could please leave the Your Life, Your Term show a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. You're able to leave five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some of the other smaller podcast players, and you can leave full written reviews along with a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts specifically. Five-star reviews, and especially those reviews with written comments, are a huge help for us to grow the show by reaching more listeners and attracting more awesome guests. So if you've gotten value from Tom, Nick, and all the top-notch guests on here, please drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast player that you can leave reviews. It would be much appreciated. And now, without further ado, Nicaragua. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nicaragua. Are you ready? Let's go. We're going to roll here. I'm live with Nick Karadza here. First of all, Nick, can you hear me? I didn't know he started. <laughs> we started. <laughs> I'm looking. I mean, you started this. I'm bringing back the OG. Yeah. Nick, can you yeah, hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you. But yeah. I was first I was confused. I had to look at the timer. There. For a second, I was like, I don't think he can hear me. Yeah, yeah no, I'm good. Okay, so last week or so, I sat down with Tom. I had a bunch of questions for Tom, and it got great feedback. It was, uh, I think people just like hearing the young real estate investor ask the older real estate investor questions. On I how. thought you were going to say Tom was young. I was like, what? Did you, did you miss yeah, something? Yeah, no, I'm definitely the young guy in the room. And uh, so I, I thought I'd do the same thing with you here, Nick. So I got a bunch of questions. I don't know how many we'll get to, and we can just roll with whatever comes up. But number one, just for anyone that doesn't know, when did you buy your first property and begin investing? I don't know the year. I know because I've told this story a bunch of times. I was, I, I was 21 when I started. Um, so that was... What's that? Twenty four years ago, I guess something like that. Um, you flipped and, a property. Yeah, I bought a place in Mississauga. Poor credit. It's right at Cawthorn Park, uh, Cawthorn Lakeshore. So right behind Cawthorn Park Secondary School, and uh, it was a two bedroom bungalow. Flipped it. I mean, the numbers sound sounded good. I mean, I bought it for one fifty eight, which seems like a joke today. I get it, but at one fifty eight at that time. It, they were really selling it for land value only. Like that actually said that on the listing because the property was so run down and so beat up and they thought it had some some larger structural problems than it than it had. Um, so I bought it at that, sold it at 209. Again, it's a small bedroom bungalow. You know, I know that's, I don't know, like a parking spot today, but uh, in Toronto. But um, but yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of lessons in, in that, you know, in that process and the numbers sound better than they 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 are because you know there was a fifty thousand dollar spread there but i only made four thousand bucks so there was just a lot of lessons but it got me started in real estate and i was 
I think what happened is after I was done flipping that property, I started looking around at different strategies and started running some numbers. And I'm like, I don't get it. I did all this work for this amount of money. And I'm sure like it was the first time I did it. So I could have done better and I could have been more efficient and made a little bit more money and stuff. But I just didn't understand doing all that work for this amount of money. It wasn't, I wasn't getting any closer to the goal that I wanted. So, So when I started investing, the goal was to have enough passive income, you know, what they call passive income or what I was learning was passive income at that time, like in quotes. Um, so it was to have that enough coming in to pay for my mortgage payment. But uh, every month my time I was 30. That was it. Like that was that was the whole goal. I wasn't like I didn't want world domination, didn't want a helicopter, didn't care about a super yacht, like n- none of that. I just I just never cared about that stuff. And I flipped. So I flipped a property, made me a few thousand bucks. And sure, that like it made me income, but it wasn't passive. It didn't get me closer to my goal. I'm like, so why, why am I doing this? And then that's when I started kind of going down and looking at different strategies and things like that. And then the next property was actually a student property um, by McMaster. That was that, uh, I want to say that's the second property. I'm just wondering if, if I'm forgetting one, but I think that was the second property. Do you still and own that? That's the one that I still, uh, that I still have that one today. That's the one I helped fill? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you uh, bought you that one? two of them. It was the smaller one, the one from the outside that looks like smaller, but then you get in, you're like, oh, it's actually kind of nice. The one you own with your buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So we bought that. We were we were playing hockey together, men's league hockey. And uh, I was talking to him about real estate and he had always wanted to do something, but I don't think he wanted to do it himself, it seemed like. And then he had, at that time, he was, uh, I guess he he had been dating or he was dating a girl who had gone to McMaster and he started telling me about student properties and the McMaster in general. I'm like, huh, let me go check this area out. So I checked the area out, checked out some properties, ran some numbers. And I was like, these numbers seem ridiculous. And so we, we, we bought that property and it was ridiculous. Like, I, like I was able to earn in the first year. Now we did our own renovations and things like that, but in the first year after all that was done, um, and we could have paid a bit more for property and not have had to do that, we earned more money than I did doing the flip. Mm-hmm. So, and it was longer term, and then I was building up equity, and there was, you know, now looking back, obviously there's been a lot of appreciation over the last that 20 years and stuff. So it was just a no brainer, mm-hmm. right? And then I just started looking around for more. Do you remember what the next few properties were in your 20s and how you bought those? Uh, not really. Like after that, um, I think I did uh, one more by myself. And then Tom and I kind of, Tom had done one or two or a few, I, I, I don't know the number, but he's done, he did some by himself. And then we kind of said, I, I, you know, at one point, and I don't know where it was exactly in the timelines, but at one point, I, I don't even know the first property Tom and I bought together, to be honest with you. I think I know. I think it was a student property, and that's the point where I, I found one. I had gone to an open house, and I was uh, not interested in that property, but I, I talked to uh, this older gentleman that was at the house as well, and he was leaving, and he's and I was talking to him about just the market in general and the student properties, and he's like, well, I have a couple I'm thinking about selling if you're interested. And I'm like, well, let me see them. And then he took me over and saw them, and I liked one of them, and I, I'm pretty sure that's the first one that I ended up buying with Tom, and then since then, we've just kind of moved forward from there. But I can tell you, the one thing I do know is how I bought them is I was trying to buy them at that time with as little money as possible. I had no problem. Like I just, I, at, at that time in my life, I had far more time available to me than I had dollars. So I was willing to invest more time and 
if I could find a pro, you know, if I could buy a property with no money in my pocket or, you know, a few thousand bucks out of pocket, whatever the, I had to do to buy with as little money as possible, that's what I was interested in doing. Would you say you were over leveraged back then? Did it feel like you were over leveraged? Yeah, but I was over leveraged, but I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm in my early 20s. So yeah, I'm over leveraged, but my total assets to that point were, I, I don't know, because I used it all. I remember on that first property and I felt like it was like 20,000 bucks or something. And that was like everything I had to that point. Yeah. So yeah, I was over leveraged, but my at risk in general, I just, there was nothing at risk. You didn't have like, anything to lose. Yeah. Like if you have a hundred bucks in your pocket and you have a, a $50,000 loan or mortgage or whatever, you, even if it's on a pro, like a, you know, you're, you're over leveraged. You, you, you have, you have your assets to, to debt are way off. Yeah. But worst but, case you're out the hundred bucks. At yeah. That point. But it just worked for me. I was like, that's, I, that's how I got to get started. I, I was looking at all sorts of properties. There was, um, I could go on forever. I won't start, but there's, there's like, I was in at my lunch hour. I was working at the region of Peel. My lunch hour I was going out to look at properties. Um, like just always just looking at different properties and different things. And then I just settled on a few different spots and strategies and we kind of kept picking away at those. So how's your approach changed from your, your early twenties, mid twenties, to now and what was the what was the transformation that kind of took place in terms of your approach to investing the goals you were trying to achieve with it because you're still buying properties but it's with a totally different goal today and mindset i think yeah i think what i think what happened for me over time was i just life got busier so there was more responsibilities and I think probably one of the biggest changes was from when I started. So the first couple of properties I was telling you about, so the, the, the flip and then the, the student property with my buddy, I did a lot of the work by myself um, or we did it t- together in, in that one. So it was a lot of kind of hands-on labor. And I guess over time, as you have additional responsibilities, or at least for me, when I had additional responsibilities, whether it's at work or then ultimately with girlfriend, wife, family, kids, all, you know, all this type of stuff, you... I'm less willing to trade my time to do that type of work. I'm more interested in trading dollars to have other people do the work, if that makes sense. Yeah, so you began valuing your time more than the money. Well, I had less time available, and I had more money. So yeah. I was willing to trade that money for time. And and that's something that changed. So like, you know, at one point, I wouldn't want to pay more for a property even if the work was done, because if there was any lift, so if I was able to buy a property at just pick another 400,000 bucks and, and, you know, put in $50,000 and then it was worth even 475. So even that $25,000 extra in lift, I was like, well, I'll do the work because I get that 25,000 in lift. Whereas now I'm much more interested in paying 475 for the property, giving someone else the 25 lift. And then I get the property that's done. I can throw someone in there, have a generating income and keep it for the long term if that's the strategy that I'm following. Yeah. So that's probably been the biggest you know, shift over time that, that kind of really transitioned from how I looked at things when I vi- you know, like first started to then how I started to look, thi- look at things over time. Now, just from the outside looking in, from my perspective, it looks like you and Tom are now investing to maximize, I'd say, lifestyle and also set up your family. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, for sure. Um, on the family side, like definitely we take that into consideration. We've looked at some projects that we're looking at doing, one in particular that probably doesn't make the most financial sense. Like the numbers on it aren't like, oh my God, this is a no-brainer, we have to do it. But we did speak about, well, this is, becomes a very good asset then, that long-term, that they don't have to think about basically rebuilding a property. 
And then if we, if we hand that off to our kids, they really have nothing to think about for, for you know, or very little to think about for at least a decade <laughs> and maybe longer because it's all kind of done. So that's... In terms of what? Like nothing to think about? Well, I just about. mean the maintenance and everything because it's all kind of done. Like it's, it's basically would be a brand new purpose-built property. Is that the triplex you're thinking right? of? Yeah, yeah. That's what we're thinking of. Very close to university, like literally one block away from the university. Um, and we're just like, it, it's just, it seems like it makes good sense for them if that's something we're going to hand off to them. I've shared the story before about, um, uh, it was a pre-construction. I don't like pre-construction often because of exactly what I'm going through now. So this closing has gotten delayed. So it's in Oakville. First of all, I bought it close to home because I wanted my, my kids involved. Right. I in, want them in what involved. way? Just with the management? just the management. Oh yeah, my kids are nine, and um, she's she will be thirteen soon. Um, I say twelve. She likes to say thirteen. I remind her she's not thirteen yet. And uh, so, but um, I'm going to drag them there. Like when we when we close on the property and there's no blinds, and I have to go meet someone to talk about blinds, I'm going to drag my kids there. Hey, you you have, need to be involved in this because the idea is that this is going to become theirs. If my my agreement with them is, hey, if you put some effort in, this will become yours. And but I and whether or not they want to invest in real estate long term or not, I want them to understand that there's different ways in life that you can generate income for yourselves and and own assets and that type of stuff versus go to school, go to post secondary education, get a job and then try to work that job or climb a ladder. And that's it. Yeah. You know, like nothing you're, else. You're basically giving them the advice we all wish we had gotten when we were young. I just want them to know. They might they might hate it and never do anything with it. And that's that it's their life. So they're totally entitled to that. But I just yeah, I just want them to know. So are you having these conversations with them now? About um, investing in assets? I, little by little, because we drive by the site when we have to go to uh, some places, primarily with my older daughter. Every time I take her to riding, we drive by the site. And I keep telling her. She's like, Are you doing that on purpose? Give her a no, little no, no, it's the quickest way. Start hammering yeah. on her? And then she's, and she's like, I know that. I know that. You've told me that. I'm like, Ella, you need to really know. Okay, this could yeah. change. This could be a big deal for you. So I'm... I, I, it's, I'm curious to see how it goes. This could be a really failed experiment. What's interesting is the two dynamics are different. Like my older daughter's into it a little bit because now she's at the place where she wants more money for clothes or to go with her friends and that type of stuff. So she's trying to kind of figure out all that stuff. My younger daughter, even from a young age, was always asking about the price of stuff. And dad, how's, how's this work? And, you know, or we'd go be picking up rent someplace. She'd be like, well, if, they, if this is our house, why are they living in it? You know, just very stuff from a young age. She was always kind of trying to figure this stuff out. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they, how they adjust to it. Um, anyways, well, the, the, one's going to be the investor. The other one's going to manage them. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. But the big, the big point of that was that property doesn't, wasn't the, it's not the best use of my funds. It's not the best numbers on the property or anything like that. And, and, but I did it because it's more about lifestyle and the family and that type of stuff to kind of come full circle and answer the question. So that's that's kind of one of the challenges with- um, Does with that also stuff. double as claiming an asset, a good home in a good area in Oakville, close to where you're likely gonna stay for the next 10, 20 years maybe, and uh, and have them close to move in potentially to that? Yeah, I never really looked at, because that's what people have asked me, and I guess that's how it comes across. I've never really looked at this as a place for them to move into. Um, but it could, you know, now that I've thought about it, that wasn't the initial thought process. The initial thought process was if I grab this property now and we manage it for, you know, call it whatever, 10 years or so, or, you know, a little bit more, whatever, whenever, if they're, they go to school or whatever, whatever their plans are, but call it 10 years, this is their foot in the market. 
they now have 50% each ownership of that property. They can then leverage that 50% ownership of that property to do whatever they want. If it's to buy another property for themselves, if it's to hold on to this one, if it's to move into this one, or if it's to buy their own home that they can you know, live versus an investment property, whatever, whatever they want, this is their foot in the market. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it. So instead of putting money away, which we also do, we have savings for them and stuff like that as well. But on the housing side, it's basically like this is it for them. So even my um, uh, my older daughter, who's 12, 12 in 10 years, she'll be 22. I mean, you know, if 10 years, depending on what happens with the mortgage and stuff, call it, you know, it's 50% paid paid down. It's, it's not quite, but, you know, whatever. Just call it that with a little bit of equity, maybe built up. A, maybe there's appreciation over the next 10 years. I, I don't know. I'm not saying there will be, but I strongly believe there will be. Yeah. Um, You're not saying it, but you're kind of saying it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Unless the, the whole mon- monetary system changes. But anyways, yeah. they, um, uh, yeah, that she can leverage that. So now she's in a position in her early 20s that she's got all this equity in one property. She can then leverage that for what she decides to do. And we can have a conversation around that at that time and and go from there. So that's the idea. You know, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens with it. Are you also consciously thinking about, you know, Rockstar has gone really well. Like the business has grown so much since you guys started it. You guys are at your kind of peak earning years. Um, obviously, you've been at it a long time. Your portfolios have built up. Are you kind of thinking consciously, let's leverage the income that's coming in now to accumulate assets because you just never know what the future holds? Like it's very likely that things are going to continue progressing. And yeah, so is that a thought as a business owner? Yeah, yeah, yes. So the short answer is yes, but it's not necessarily let's leverage the income now. It's anytime there's additional savings somewhere. I personally like to take them and buy some sort of asset with them, right? Up to a point. Now, we have um, we have cash reserves for the business, and it sucks, right? So mm-hmm. when the lead up to COVID, when all asset price, so real estate's up and Bitcoin's way up, stocks are like everything's just skyrocketing because there's all this money flush in the system and everything's going up. And we have this, we we both have this account that we have some cash saved in that we might have if in case we have to inject it back into the business, right? So let's keep the business on solid footing just in case anything comes up. So we have this account. I see that money sitting there. I'm like, wow, this money's just becoming worthless. <laughs> you know, it's been there for years. But um, so, but that money's still sitting there. We didn't buy any assets with it. And then when COVID hit and a lot of people were making rash emotional decisions and they were laying off people and they were, you know, they were jumping the gun. Um, well, you were here. You remember. We're like, hey, guys, look, we're good. We're not changing anything. We're going to let the chips fall, mm-hmm. see where the, when the dust settles, and then we, we're going to just have to see where we might have to go. But right now, no one has to think about a thing. We're yeah. good. And we were really, really happy that we could do that and we were in the position to do that. So there's something to be said for remaining liquid. Like at times like these, you got to remain liquid with cash as well. So so we keep a, a, a portion of savings in cash when there's an extra income or whatever. But then after that, I don't want it sitting in cash because I feel that over the long term, it's going to lose its value. So, it's, But it's not about these extra earning years. It's just basically at any time, if there's extra, you know, just Canadian dollars, I'd like to exchange them for an asset that performs a little bit better. No different than people buy stocks or buy investments or whatever the case may be. So like your approach hasn't changed at all to reinvesting profits back into the business, keep growing it, keep growing marketing, we're growing our team, but then anything excess above that, then you were... Yeah, well, I think it, it, 
the approach hasn't changed, but the business has matured. So there's more, there, there's, you know, when you're starting a business, there's mm-hmm. a lot more expenses than there is revenue very most often. So there's no money left over to be able to put into assets. Mm-hmm. Never mind. I mean, we were barely taking any money. Tom shared, he was living off his credit line. You How know, many years before you started taking a bit of money off? It, it's like a meaningful amount. Oh, lots. Like yeah, five years, six yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like at least, yeah, at least that. I forget. I forget the number. Tom will say a number. I don't even know if it's accurate or not, but he'll have he'll have a number. But I don't even I don't even know. But like when you're talking like a meaningful amount outside of like a regular salary that we can kind of just live on, and there's like extra where we can start doing stuff. Yeah, it was five six years at least. People underestimate that, mm-hmm. and that's not really unique to our like to our story or or any business because businesses just. They need that fuel, so you got to feed them to to grow them. And in today's world, it's 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 really it's almost more strange because so many businesses will lose money for so long, and they're just burning money for years and years and years before they finally turn a profit, hoping that it finally turns around and really grows, right? Especially in the tech space and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so it, it's a it's a it was a journey for sure. But we saw progress each step of the way. Right, because the 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 money that was coming in that we were putting back into the business was creating growth. So we saw results from it. So that that helped. Did you find starting your portfolio and building it was that same journey of everything is being reinvested in at the beginning? We're not really seeing the benefit from this until it matured. The same way that the business. hundred yeah, percent. Because I was buying with almost like as little money as possible. I had no money. Yeah. <laughs> like I had. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I I I I I really feel like. I had about twenty thousand dollars of savings when I started, right? That was and that was like every penny to my name that I had saved up until that point. So, so you put that in a property, and then over there through maybe cash flow, yeah. or more savings from your your regular well, job, you accumulated more for another down payment, or yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, look. So the second property we bought um, that I bought with with my with the friend that we were talking about, a student property, we did a bunch of the renovations ourselves. We did all the labor. For to finish the thing, we bought like the cheapest finishings we could buy. We bought a light fixture for like seven bucks from Home Depot. Like we just we we spent all the cheapest all the cheapest stuff. It, it kind of looked good because it was new, but we tried to save every dollar mm-hmm. because we did that. The stuff broke earlier and it looked like crap earlier, so we had to reinvest more money quickly into that property. If we had spent just an extra 10, maybe 15% on materials only, not the labor, because the labor had to be done anyways. If we had just done that, we would have profited more and sooner for that property. But because we didn't, we had to then replace a lot more stuff and we had to reinvest money into that property sooner. So we had this property for a number of years and we didn't really take much money from the property at all. Now remember, we we did refinance the property. We took all the capital that we put in out. So we essentially owned this this property now. We had to put a bunch of time into it. We had no money left in the property. So like it was it, it was great. But we weren't able to and even though it was cash flowing a bunch, we had to then reinvest that cash flow into other things because some of the materials and stuff we used just weren't as good as they should have been. And then it took us a, a, a period of time before we were able to start really realizing revenue from that property. Right? So So have you changed your approach now to when you're investing 
in things, whether it's just materials for properties or your own renovations, you're always trying to think long-term and buy the finishings that last. Yeah, do it once and do it right. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. that's something I really believe in too. Yeah, Even I, for things like personal belongings, I wanna buy the most expensive, not like brand name. You're big time, man, we get it. No, no, not like <laughs> brand name things, but I wanna buy the best that I can afford at the time because it's usually gonna last the longest. And when you look at the, the bigger arc of time, it's usually the best return on your money because it lasts the longest. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I've learned that the hard way. That's how I learned. That, that property taught me that lesson. And ever since that property, anytime we've done a renovation or anything, I've, we've never taken that approach. We've always taken the, hey, let's, let's spend a little bit more now. It's gonna save us a bunch in the future. Didn't think about it. I mean, you're we're early 20s, young, you're just like, I don't know, the $7 light fixture or the $15 light fixture, it's the same thing. You put a, light, a bulb in and it turns on. I it mean, shines what? light. Yeah. yeah, so, but now looking back, I'm like, eh, I wasn't really thinking straight there. Yeah, you kind of got to go through that. And, and also we were, you know, we had the mindset like, oh, this is a student property. What does it matter? It's a student property. What does it matter? Like we said that a hundred times. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, we learned quick. Look, it was a really nice place, but we learned quick enough that we could have shaved off, you know, many years of having to reinvest and deal with stuff for if we just did it a little bit differently the first time. Yeah. Something that you taught me on that property is every year you and your buddy that still own it, you pick like one major thing or one thing to upgrade in the home, whether it's the kitchen yep. or the exterior of the home, like every year or every turnover, you're picking kind of one thing. And that just made a lot of sense to me. And it really lets you manage it better over time in your cash flow, but then yeah. also keep it upgraded and keep the demand there. Yeah. That's worked out. We're fortunate because we don't, um, like we don't really need, need the cash flow, right? So we're the long-term picture is always what we've been interested in with that property. Um, yeah, you're running a charity over there with so, those rents. Uh, well, yeah, they've been in there now for a few a few years. Have they? Uh, yeah. Were they good? When did you, uh, well, two years ago? Is it two years? Something yeah, I don't like even that. know. I just remember thinking, uh, yeah, we could probably maximize it, but you weren't concerned about maximizing rents at all. No, we could, we could probably squeeze it a little bit higher, but it got filled really quick. It was easy for you, right? It was easy money for you. Yeah, it was good. It was good, it was good for me. Yeah. <laughs> so that worked. Uh, it just worked out that way. So I, I don't know. We're we're not concerned with um, squeezing every last dollar out of the property. If we yeah, and you never have the work. So it, it, yeah, so it, it works. Um, yeah. It, it, Even from when I started, I think about four years ago, like you guys still had like rent to owns closing when I started, um, and then since then your investing seems to have switched to like, okay, the blue mountain place that you guys closed on, which is like a vacation property. And then, you know, the Oakville home and Tom's looking at, you know, condos in Oakville, I think a similar approach for, for Sienna and Aiden. So I can see the shift just from the last four years. Yeah. Those things. I mean, look, the blue mountain property is really just a lifestyle purchase. No different than the yeah. creation property was a lifestyle purchase. So we don't, I don't even look at that as an investment. Um, you know, and it is, it's an investment into lifestyle. Like the, the memories that we have from, from going to Europe every year with the family are, are priceless. And, you know, we could rent a property every year as well. I just, I've never met someone that will go as consistently and just rent a place every year. I mean, I'm sure people do it. It's just, I don't know that we would. I don't know that I would have ever done it because I'm not a good planner that way. So I think having that property forced me to be in Europe with the family, and I'm really glad that, that we did. And that's why we have that property up in Blue Mountain, because really it's not generating income. I mean, maybe we end up renting it f for, you know, like a medium-term rental or something. Maybe we do that for periods of time when we're not going to use it. I'm not sure. We're just getting it set up, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, it, there's there's just been different things. It's a, a, a bit of a different journey. Like, you know, the, the office, like when we our office was coming up, 
it really tied our hands for a bit. And it goes back to the point about new construction that I, that I kind of got away from is that the challenge with new construction is when you buy it, maybe it does appreciate while you, while you, um, while you're waiting for it to close, maybe it doesn't, but your hands are tied because you have these closings coming up and you can't do other things. Mm -hmm. So when we had bought this place and it kept getting delayed and delayed, we couldn't do anything for, for this was, I guess, just before COVID, but for the couple of years before COVID, we couldn't do much of anything because we had bought this place and this is an investment and this is a large investment. Um, and it's a completely different type of investment, but it, it's, it's great for us because regardless of if the business is, is here or elsewhere or whatever the case may be, this asset will be here for another business and it'll be here for a long time. And so, so this we view 100% as an investment, even though we're using it ourselves right now. Um, but it was the challenge of, you know, having to sit on the sidelines while waiting for the financing for this because if we went and got one or two other properties and then the bank decides at the end of the day ah you know what those properties really throw the numbers off we don't really like this so much anymore and then we couldn't close on this we're really in a problem because especially because it runs it, it houses the business so um yeah so so it has changed a little bit uh but but it, i think probably mixed in is more uh, lifestyle purchases yeah. with with the investments as well yeah buying the vacation property that's something i've thought of in the past like why not just go rent a new place every year somewhere else? You can kind of see the whole world. You're not stuck with this one property in this one area that you might get bored of. But I actually like that point. Like I've never thought of it that it was a forced thing. Like it forced you to go to Europe every year and spend time with your family. Not yeah. that like you didn't want to do that, but you almost feel guilty owning that property and not using it. Yeah, I'm not convinced we'd go. Like I'm at least my family. Like I'm not convinced that we would. Yeah, that's I think most would people would probably agree to that. Yeah, and then I, I I agree with what you're saying about always going to a different place. And before we had kids, my wife and I were like like our our trips were, you know, maybe we'd go to a country, we'd go to two or three different spots in the country or something. Like we'd like traveling around, seeing all this different stuff. And then it changed a little bit when we had young kids because to do that with young children, not that you can't. We we started traveling with our kids um, overseas before their first birthdays, both of them, right? Uh, Ava was only five months old the first time she was in Europe. So, but but it is more difficult. You're definitely more of a donkey. Um, like you're just carrying, you're lugging a lot of stuff around, right? And um, so it, it, it was good, but I just don't think we would have we would have done that so and then i've been more open to going to one place partly because of that and then once i was exposed to that there's something to be said for getting someplace and feeling like it's home mm. and even for my kids like we get to you know where we are in croatia and they're just like everyone's just immediately just kind of chills everyone kind of knows that has a little bit of a routine and stuff so it's 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 really nice that way um it really feels like home so there is something to be said for that. But now, having said that, we also try to visit, like this year, we're going to Italy and Austria while we're in Europe. So we do try, now the kids are a bit older, we want to make sure we take advantage of our time there and, and we want to show them different parts of the world and different countries and cultures. And we want to experience those countries and cultures as well. So now we try to kind of blend both a little bit. Yeah, use it as a bit of a home base. For sure, yeah. Um, your friends from maybe your early 20s or high school days, have they seen what you've built for yourself at this point in your life? And I know that one friend invested with you. Have some of your ever, other friends ever joined you on this journey or got into real estate investing or commented at least to, to see what you've built now? Yeah, some have. Most most haven't uh, got into like real estate investing. So I think they're more interested in looking at it now. Um, Why just, is that that they're interested now? I, I think it's just the stage of life. 
I think they've reached a stage of life now where, um, you know, the kids have gotten a little bit older. They feel like maybe they have uh, not necessarily more time, but just their time's a bit more flexible because they don't they can leave the house and the kid can be at home without having to, you know them worry about leaving a, a young a young child at home alone. So there's just a little bit more flexibility, and I think over time, as you if they've some of them are frustrated maybe a little bit within the position, maybe they've been in the same role or or, or, or place for a while, and they're like I don't I'm not really liking this, and they just need a bit of a backup, a bigger bit of a backup plan and they start looking around for other things that might create a little bit of um, financial opportunities for themselves maybe down the road that gives them a little bit of kind of flexibility that way. Hmm. So I think it's just a stage of life that you get to because most people, I mean, you looked at it early, but I think you're an exception as well. I don't think most people in their, you know, mid twenties or early twenties are looking around saying, Hmm, I should really buy some real estate as an investment. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe more now because it was such like a hot topic, but I know when I started for sure it wasn't like no one was looking at it. Mm-hmm. I forget that all the time because I'll talk to people um, like the property I just uh, filled. It was a place in Barrie and my second cousin actually reached out to rent it. And I hadn't talked to her in like seven years. She's two years younger than me. So she's 25. And I rented to her. I was like praying that she had like her stuff together, like good credit score, good income. Because otherwise, I like, hope that works out well. So yeah. <laughs> it family problems. Happen. I know. I know. She's good, though. She's solid. So uh, we put her in there. But um, when I was doing the background check, like I did that uh, Rentify Verifast report. So I saw she had a huge chunk of savings. And then she made a comment to me. She's like, I'm waiting to buy a house. And then I was kind of suggesting to her like, hey, why not buy a place now and just like rent it out in the meantime, then you can get in the housing market. So I'm just a bit worried that if she waits too long, it's going to get harder and harder or she'll have to go maybe further and further from Barrie, the kind of the area she grew up. And it was just like such a foreign concept to her. And I just, uh, I always forget that, I think, just because I'm surrounded by it here. Yeah. Different people have different priorities in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was doing that first property, I was leaving my parents' house. So I was living at home still at that age. And I, uh, I, had, I had friends that grew up. I was fortunate that on our street, there was a few people uh, my age. There was a few people a couple of years older. So we kind of had a good group of people like on our street. And uh, I'll never forget, I was leaving one day. I was leaving. I, I'd come home from work and I was leaving to go down to the property. And the couple guys were sitting on the porch next door. And they're like, oh, where are you going? I told them, and they're chirping me. You know, they're like, oh, why are you going down there? Come have a, uh, come have a beer. They're sitting having a beer. I don't know, smoking butts, whatever they were doing, right? They're like, oh, and I'm just like, oh, and I'm, I gotta go. No, and I remember leaving and driving down. I'm like, man, like, just be so nice, just to sit there and just relax. Like, they yeah. don't want to go deal with this crap right now, you know. So there was definitely a moment, of, not a. There's multiple moments, but in that at that moment, there was frustration there, and. Um, you know, it, that changed over time, over a few years. Like, those were the same people that were like, ah, what, you know, why are you doing that? Why are you doing it? Slowly changed to, like, what, what do you do? What are you doing? <laughs> how, how does this work again? Right. So they kind of saw it over time. But, um, yeah, that it's just, it was, uh, well, it's, it's not an easy path getting started. And I was just kind of doing it myself. Right. There wasn't kind of, it's was just something I went out. I went to this weekend course and I went about this property. So it's a little bit harder that way for anyone, for anyone. And that's why it helped afterwards. And Tom was kind of doing it himself as well. And that's why it helped um, afterwards when, you know, I, I got together with a buddy and then Tom and I started doing stuff together. It just kind of worked out. Yeah. And you guys did kind of start the business you almost wish you would have had back then. Yeah. 100%. Someone to walk you through it. Someone to help you. Because at that time, even the, 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 the people, um, like the real estate agents that we were using, they just, it, it, I, there wasn't much, I didn't feel there was really 
any sincere offer of assistance there. It was just more like, hey, it was, they were chasing a commission. That's how I felt. I could be mistaken. I, I don't know, but that's just how I felt. At the Did time. you ever find someone that had any knowledge of investing? Or is more so just, I am looking to invest, buy a rental property, I'm looking for these specific things, like you were given all the direction. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of, it was it was more just us giving the direction. Hmm. Um, there, there, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a popular topic at the time, so very few realtors were focused on doing that. The whole thing in real estate, even when we started, we were told they're like, working with investors, doesn't work. It's a waste of time. You're going to have to write a hundred lowball offers. Like it's just, it's a waste of your time. You need to list to last. That's what the whole brokerage was focused on. They were focused on us cold calling and getting listings. And they're like, you need to list to last. What does that mean? List to last. You need listings to last in the, in the real, in the world. So sales. Uh, in the real world, in the, in the real, in the, uh, as like a realtor. Like you needed to sell people's homes. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't even working with, not just working buying. with buyers. Wasn't even like a, a an option. It was just working with with sellers. That was the only thing that was uh, uh, of interest to them. That's like that's how you built a business in real estate. But I think what they didn't understand is we weren't. We never came in or started the business to work in real estate. Like that was never the goal. It was just like we want to help investors, and we've done some things. And I think there's going to be some other people that are interested in doing this, and we can help them do this that 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 was it so it was never about like obviously there was like an a revenue and income component to it i mean we live in we all need to feed our families go to the grocery store buy food and that type of stuff but but it wasn't like we want to be big shot real estate people like there was no that was zero ambition it's just like hey can we like get together with some other investors and we can help them you know invest in some properties and then, you know, we, we'll see kind of where it goes from there. We can kind of get some stuff together. We can, we can teach them some stuff and we'll be there to support them after. And let's kind of see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, just, it made, just made sense. Before uh, Rockstar, when you were a T4 employee, I know you were at the Region Appeal. I think you are at Oracle for a little bit. Yep. Did you feel like- I started were- at Arby's making roast beef sandwiches when I was whatever age you could work at. Was that 15? When, when High school. Grade nine, I think I started there. But my my daughter says you can't work till fifty. I don't know what the legal age is. I remember looking it up because my daughter keeps telling me, I'm like, get a job. And she's like, I'm too young still. I'm like, I don't believe you. So I had to look it up. Yeah, she might be making that up. Yeah, no, but I did look it up. And I think it's 14, is it? That was when I had my first uh, full-time job. Would that be grade nine? I guess it would be, something like that. Yeah, so okay. I think that's when I started too. I was Arby's for me. Oh, cool. I was Pizza Hut. Were you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Feels like it's better than Arby's. It was good because I would make my own pizzas, bring them home every night. Oh, yeah. That'd and be then uh, when someone canceled the order, we'd get to eat all the pizzas. <laughs> Sometimes people would intentionally place an order, call, cancel the order, and we'd get to eat all the pizzas. Oh, some, some like friends that you know. Just saying. <laughs> Jeez. So. I went to 2001 audio video. I think that was my second part-time job ever. And that was cool. That was that was a big big for me a big move up from from Arby's. Yeah, it was just like Bulk Barn was my big move. Oh so, yeah. yeah. Um, so back then, did you feel like you were stuck in the rat race? Yeah, hundred percent. Not Arby's um, because I wasn't thinking about it then. But at the Region of Peel, one million percent. And it's nothing against anyone at the Region of Peel. If you're listening, I was in IT. I would leave so frustrated, like I was pissed off. And the reason I was pissed off is. There was so much red tape around and technology was moving so fast. And to get anything done there, you needed like 
10 different signatures or approvals. Like you just couldn't really do anything. Like it was so slow moving. It frustrated frustrated the crap out of me. I was so frustrated. So yeah, 100%. Because I, I wanted, and it's one of the reasons I went to Oracle, is that I was looking for a role where I could be rewarded for either the work that I gave or the results that I, I created. I didn't want to just be you know, there on an hourly wage and, and, and see, because I saw what was happening. I'm like, I feel like I can be doing so much more and I feel like I'm wasting my time here because of the, the pace it's moving at and it's not the pace that I want to move at. And it, I, I related it back to, um, I, I think this came, I remember thinking like I, it's, I wanted something like a piecework job because when I used to work construction with my dad, I was the guy hourly wage. I was putting insulation in, vapor barrier, doing that type of stuff. And I would see these drywall guys or even some of the steel guys, they were getting paid piecework. Mm-hmm. And, because, and that's, that's, they would get paid by how much, how much work they completed. And um, I was like, well, I want a job like that. Like, I'm more interested in being like, hey, like, I'll bust my butt if, you know, if I, if I insulate the whole floor, do I, am I going to get paid more? But my dad's like, no, you're just going to get paid what I pay you. And that's, that's yeah, it. Yeah, you don't have incentive to work yeah. hard, work fast. So I wanted that. Um, I, I was always for that. So the, 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 the government role, at, at least at that time for me and the way it was set up, a lot of the stereotypes of government workers, again, at that, and, you know, that I witnessed in that particular role, it was kind of true, you know, they, 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 they were stereotypes for a reason. They were, you know, partly true. And I wasn't interested in uh, participating in it. It was, it was really frustrating for me. And that's why I started investing in real estate, actually. Was it just the job environment that frustrated you? Or was it not having control of your time? Always no, being on I, this treadmill of getting up, going to work, and having to work at these set hours? No, that never really bugged me. I mean, I had some flexibility there. Uh, the people that were there were, were really cool. I liked a lot of the people. Made some made some friends there that I liked. Uh, I was uh, I was you know getting promo every year. I would get a different type of uh, role. I mean, you could call it a promotion. You know, I went from like a you know second level support to like a project management. Then it was you know this like an associate role and different things. So uh, you know, I was I was doing all that, and and so there was a lot of things there that that I think a lot of people would look at and, and look at favorably and, and think it was it was a good experience. But for me, it wasn't what I wanted. It was more, I just, I, I knew I wasn't using the potential that I, that I felt I had mm-hmm. because I was working at a 50% pace and I was perceived as a very effective, very good employee, but I really wasn't giving that much effort. And I was like, it's amazing that, I'm just like, I'm doing this and I'm looking good, you know? And I'm like, and I'm like, one, you know, so then the frustration became, I have more to give. So maybe there was a little bit of like, I'm stuck here, you know, like where I can't, I could be doing something else. So if someone came to me and said, you know, you can work half days if you do, do everything you got to do and then just take off. Yeah. Maybe I, you know, I, I would have taken, taken them up on it and stayed there longer. But so there was probably an element of that, but it was more just that I feel like I just needed an environment w- that could allow me to grow faster. So then why leave more of a competitive sales environment at Oracle to then start Rockstar? If you could find that competitive. I didn't, I didn't leave to start Rockstar. I left to work with a friend and his business. He was had one business. He was starting another one. He wanted someone to run that business for him. And he called me mm. and, and then that's that what was, you left to then start Rockstar. Yeah. 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 So that's why, so that was, I was actually already leaving Oracle to go to, Tom was at NetSuite. He's like, look, man, you might want to come to NetSuite because it's, it's just on the ground floor 
and it's kind of up and coming, it might be an opportunity to come over here, leaving Oracle that's already established stuff. There might, might be more upside because there could be like early growth there. And I was uh, probably more because of, you know, Tom was doing well there and he had some relationships. So they, they, when they interviewed me, they offered me a position. And I had to decide between that and going and working with my buddy, which was just a complete, like, just, you know, wasn't that organized. It was like an online business at the time when it was hard to do. It wasn't like drag and drop website builders and stuff. So there's a lot of pure chaos. Yeah, it was definitely pure chaos. I had to do some tech support for it. And so there's like emails, like I'm in his living room on a computer typing emails, support emails to him and stuff. And um, I'll never forget, I was driving down with Churchill one evening and I had to decide about this role. My phone rings. It was the uh, one of the VPs and that's right at the time. And, uh, and his exact words, I forget exactly what, how he got to this point, but the exact phrase he used is, hey man, it's time to shit or get off the pot. <laughs> Meaning like, you know, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I'm not going to take the job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I found out afterwards that he was like just blown away that I would pass up that opportunity for this. But, but yeah, I just ended up running this company with, uh, with a friend of mine. Uh, who's still a friend of mine today. Um, and then, you know, that, that lasted for, I forget how long, a period of time. And then uh, I was getting a little bit frustrated there just just because, probably just because it was, wasn't, was there was really no problems. Just, I think it was, the, the nature of the business was very reactive, which I didn't like. Um, but anyways, I didn't know a lot about, I, I was learning about business through him, but I mean, I've learned a lot of lessons now in our own business that I look back and I'm like, ah, now I get why he was doing it this way, right? So I respect some of the ways he was doing stuff a little bit more than I did at the time because I just didn't know. Um, but uh, it, it came at a good time with this opportunity with Tom because I was like, you know, I'm ready. I was ready for the next thing. Like that, that was it. Like I was at a point where I was like, this is a natural point for me to move on to something else anyway. So it was perfect timing. From speaking to uh, Rockstar members over the years, what do you think the most common struggles are that they're facing in living their life on their terms? What do they seem to be the things that keep cropping up over and over again that might be holding people back or is the obstacle they have to overcome? Wow, that's a good question. I don't know. It's hard to generalize. Like Everyone's got their personal circumstances. I think maybe something that surprises me um, Tom and I were really fortunate growing up. I think our mom, I, I, I guess both parents, but our mom was really into personal development, self-help books and that type of stuff. And I mean, I shared in the newsletter recently that like, I'll never forget, I was, dro- I was getting dropped off at grade school and my mom before um, she would drop us off, she would make me recite like every day and every way we're getting better and better. <laughs> it was like a, you know, like a personal affirmation. I think probably learned it from the Silva method or something, right? And, I'll, and I was just, I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, man, like we've been doing that type of stuff for so long. So do you still say it? Uh, no, now I know I'm just, no, <laughs> um, should do that with your kids. I don't know when it stopped to be honest with you, but it, it was, it wasn't like we didn't do it for a week. We did it for a long time. Like this was uh, for a while, but they, uh, a lot of people, I don't think had the confidence in themselves that they can do what they're want to do and have create kind of flexibility and freedom for themselves. Um, because maybe they didn't see it, maybe they're they don't. They just have a you know a lack of of, of self belief. Uh, maybe they just don't believe it. Maybe they're told that they they can't, and there is only one way. I don't really know. And I think sometimes there's there's a a a mental hurdle there that a lot of people have to get over. Um, and it's just prob- in pure lack of self belief. 
that they can do it or that it's possible in I general? think both. I think both. I think it's different for different people. But it just surprised me that how many people have a bit of a mental hurdle that they have to get over for that. You know, it's not everyone for sure, but there were there's a, a good amount of people. I'm like, I, and it just surprised me because I guess I don't feel like I've had that mental hurdle. Maybe I was too naive to know any better, but I would just see something like, oh yeah, I can do that too. You know, so I just had this self-belief that I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I can go do that. Um, if, if someone came to you with that problem today, how do you think you would help them get unstuck? What would your advice be if they asked you for advice on that? Yeah, I, I, I'm really good at being blunt. So I would probably just shake them and say, wake physically up. Physically pick them yeah. up and shake them. <laughs> say, wake up. No, you just share with them. Like, look, look around you. Like, if you actually open your eyes around you and you see what's going on around you versus just kind of doing your day-to-day stuff, there's opportunity everywhere. And there's a lot of people taking advantage of it. And why the hell can they take advantage of it and you can't? Now, maybe you don't want to, or maybe there's priorities in your life that you're deciding to prioritize. And that's 100% fine right? That's great. So maybe it's just like you want to give all your time to your family and you don't want to take that extra time that it's going to take to do something else to, you know, away from your family to do that. And, and okay, if you're making that decision consciously, then great, great decision. That's for you. Awesome. Do it. But if you think that you can't do it, you're like, well, you know, I have uh, you know, young kids, so, so I can't do it now. Well, I mean, Tom quit his job when, you know, he had a really young child at home. Right, I, we started this business before I even owned my first house. We had bought it, and then we started this business before it closed. And I was just getting married at the time and had to kind of go through that path. Now I didn't have kids to worry about, but um, we were just starting our lives together, and I had that to worry about. And we were we were able to do it. And different people have different circumstances and that are far more challenging than the ones I just shared with Tom and I that that we've seen people overcome as well. So I think it's just like being open to the fact that. There's, there's other people doing it around you. And it's like, what are you truly prioritizing in your life? Like, you got to be honest with yourself. And sometimes it's hard to be honest with yourself. Because if you're not doing anything, like if after nine o'clock every day, you're just sitting around for a couple hours before you go to bed and you're watching TV. And well, that's great. That's great if that's what you want to do. But if you're trying to get past where you are in life and you want to create something for yourself and you're like, I have no time, but you watch two hours of TV every day from nine to 11. I know you're tired a little bit. Stop watching the flipping TV. You have two hours every single day. Do you know if you actually put concentrated effort on something for two hours every day, the results you can get? Like, they're big. You don't need an eight-hour chunk of time to actually do anything. Most of us, I mean, myself included, you screw around for periods of time because you kind of get distracted and stuff, and then until you sit down and actually focus again, you know, it's like, but when you, before we go on vacation or anything, how much crap can you get done? You're going to Montreal for a few days. You're probably, these couple, next couple of days, you're probably pumping stuff out like it's no problem, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I just think. I think sometimes we just, we all just lie to ourselves. And it's like, hey, are you going to be honest with yourself or not? Right? And that, it's something that, that I feel is, is really important and doesn't happen enough. So you made a good point about, yeah, going to Montreal because I'm cramming all these fills in and stuff and trying to wrap everything yeah, up. But you can't operate at that at all times. So that's my, that's what my question is. It's totally unsustainable. Yeah. Like I'm already, I'm feeling it. But, um, but then, so how do you manage that with then also constantly setting deadlines to then put that pressure on yourself to get things done? Well, look at, look at this, your, your example that you're using for yourself, right? So let's say you're leaving, what, are you off tomorrow? 
tomorrow morning. Okay, so I keep hitting this thing. So, do you have a couple days? A uh, couple days uh, this week. So you're, you've you've crammed a lot of stuff into this week, mm-hmm. uh, into these couple days. So you can't operate at that pace all the time because you will. You'll get burnt out eventually. But then you know you know what you can operate. So you ebb and flow a little bit. But if you were doing hardcore work for two hours a day and then pulling back for a chunk of the day and then maybe one other hour in the afternoon, that's a far more sustainable schedule. Mm-hmm. Right, or you're doing three days on, one day off, or something. Right, you create a schedule that's going to work for yourself, and then you follow that schedule. That's the way I would do it. And then you just have to set realistic goals. Like what a mistake I made early on is I was always had lists for myself of, of what to do, and I would always try to bite off more than I could chew in a day. And then so I would start the week, and I wouldn't get everything done on Monday. Or let's say I did. Let's say by chance I got everything done on Monday. All of a sudden Tuesday comes around. Couldn't get everything done because didn't leave myself much time for error. One or two things are outstanding. By the time Wednesday's here, I'm already behind. Now I have to catch up on Tuesday stuff and do Wednesday stuff. And then Thursday, Friday. So I was always getting ticked off because by the end of the week, I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. But then I realized, I'm like, you know what? I'm trying to do too much and I can't operate at this pace. So I pulled back and I would pick one or two important things for the day that I had to do. Like that was more like that was more they were more of a proactive tasks, right? And then I would go after those were done, then I would handle I'd give myself permission to handle just reactive tasks. I had to start putting lunch in my calendar just to break them up, right? Or free time or email blocks just to go handle email and take care of that stuff. And when you when I saw that, then I'm like, oh, I only have a certain amount of time for these things. That's where mornings come in and our morning routine and that type of stuff. But but I I didn't realize the progress you could make with a short amount of focused effort every day. That was what I couldn't understand early on. I think, I thought everything took a lot more time and I needed to be like on, on, on all the time. And I'm like, you don't, you just need the consistency of it. It's not about these big chunks of things, but it's the consistency of doing it regularly, consistently, time and time again. That's how you go far. How are you uh, consciously balancing everything now? Like your dad, you know, you've got your kids. You joke about how you do Uber duty like every night after yeah, work. I don't joke. I, 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 the, the correct term is bitch and complain. Yeah. <laughs> so you're doing that and then hardcore at the gym every morning, five, six days a week, uh, no matter what. That's one thing I've noticed. No matter what, you're at the gym. And that's something Even when I shouldn't be when I'm sick or hungover, I'm still there. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it's probably like a little counterproductive, yeah, yeah. but it's almost a good problem because it's 99% of the time productive. A little bit of an addiction, maybe could yeah. be looked at in a bad way, but I'll take it. I'll take it. If I'm going to be addicted to something, I'll take it. So like sometimes the fitness thing in the morning, like I like working in the morning, but that's something I'll consciously drop to then focus on maybe like doing some fills, getting some money coming in. That seems to be something you never drop. And you're also balancing these other things. So just how are you thinking about your own priorities and stuff? It's just priorities. That, that's all it is. So you just like, consciously know this morning is for the gym, then it's for this, then it's for this. No matter what, yeah. then I'm driving my kids here. Yeah. It's just a priority for me. It's just the importance I put on it. That's it. When like, so, I, you know, the last little while or the last while I've been going back to the gym in the morning. Before that, I had been going um, a little bit later when I was focusing on uh, like the Olympic lifting stuff. I was going in when there was a coach there uh, and she was there. I think I was going in from 10.30 maybe, 10 to, so I was going you know, later in the morning kind of t- t- to midday. And um, at that time, it was still, I still wasn't missing the sessions, um, but I just altered my schedule so that in the morning then I would take care of whatever else was important so it was work-wise. So I'd still be getting up at the same time. I'd handle the priority for work. That would be done in the morning. Then I could go do the training afterwards. So it's just whatever... 
I, I just assign the priorities. Do you ever feel bad about neglecting one thing to prioritize the other thing? No, because it's not important. Well, what if it's just like a really busy time at Rockstar? It's well, leading it's up to an event. You still want to hit the gym, but you know you're kind of neglecting stuff that maybe if you gave it 100% of your attention, didn't go to the gym that day, you'd get further ahead. I think there's enough time. Like there's always seems to be enough time if you plan ahead and you can do focused work. Now, do I have times when, you know, so planning for the event's a good example, right? When sometimes doing doing those 120 slide presentations and gathering all the yeah. data, sometimes they're, um, they take longer than they should because I can't buckle down and focus and do what I need to do. But if I can do that, I have plenty of time. So the problem to me isn't the amount of time. It's the way that I'm working. And if I can buckle down and focus, I can get that stuff done. It's not a, it's not a problem. So that's, that's the way I look at it. Right. So if there's something super important, like if that can't be moved, like, a, I don't know, a court case, like I, you know, I don't know, like you know, if I have to, I, you know, or yeah, getting sued, right landlord tenant board or something. No, I'm just yeah. trying to think. think. <laughs> there's, uh, yeah, when you're in business, I mean, there's always there's errors and yeah. emissions when you have a real estate brokerage for things that go on. But, um, um, but yeah, if you have an appointment that just can't be, I was just trying to think of something that can't yeah, be moved, for sure. right? Yeah, and um, I would just go earlier. Like I'll just get up at five and go if I need to instead of six or whatever. Like I just make it a priority. So I just adjust things accordingly. But really when it comes to most stuff, I feel like there's time that you can do most stuff. You just have to plan accordingly and be make it the priority. Now, do I have some days that are long days because of it, especially with the kids stuff at night? Yeah. But I mean, it's just the stage of life I'm going through with my kids and I'm happy to drive them places and spend that time and see them doing that type of stuff. And, that, you know, so it doesn't really impact me because that's all after hour stuff. But there are things that come up for at Rockstar where I do have an evening or weekend commitment. And then that's just, you know, a conversation with my wife and that she understands that's part of the family. And I don't neglect the family, but it's just at that time we can't make it work. So we'll find another way to make it work. Do you think overall taking those two hours to go to the gym in the morning, even though maybe you're taking that away from something you could be doing elsewhere, some productive activity does still make you overall more productive over the longer all that time in my, in the gym is not productive. All those hours I spend. <laughs> no, no, it's productive, but like maybe business wise, because if you, if you're doing one thing, you're not doing the other thing. Yeah. So you are taking the time away from one thing to 100%. do that thing. But do you think overall, because of the boost of energy you get, because you're so fit and active, that does benefit more over time than I don't I don't know um, I know it's what I want to do and that's really all that matters yeah <laughs> no and I don't it's a good I, way of thinking of no it. but I don't mean it in, like I don't mean it and no it's in, nice and simple in an I arrogant like. way I just mean that's like I, I like the way it makes me feel I'm happy when I do it I feel like it's good for my health so that's a priority for me and I just I don't really care like I'm, I'm gonna go do it Mm -hmm. You know, now, if I, and I, I'm, I'm not dropping the ball elsewhere. So if I was doing that and I was doing it um, and not getting my responsibilities done here, that then becomes a problem. Or if I'm doing it after work and I'm not taking care of my responsibilities at home and instead I'm just focusing on that time and I'm going to the gym then and I'm just ignoring what, you know, anything with the kids, that becomes a problem. I, one of the reasons I go to the gym early in the morning. First of all, I, I don't I don't mind it early in the morning. I, I probably actually, the performance would be better if I went later in the day. But it's because it's at the time when it impacts things the least in other parts of my life. 
So I'm able to do it then without really impacting the family much, with it, without dropping any, the ball here for anything. So that's really why I kind of do that. So I try to work around it that way so I can keep my other responsibilities up. But I just, I don't know, I like it. You know, it's like the, mm-hmm. you know, people that golf, like they golf because, I don't know, they like it. I guess it makes them happy. Like, I'm guessing, I'm assuming, but I'm, whatever hobbies people have, you do it because you like it. And life is to enjoy. we we have this culture of bigger better faster like everything you know more 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 you know especially in business like for a while the 10x term was sort of 10x this 10x that and i was just like well growth for growth's sake doesn't appeal to me you know if there's something that makes sense and we want to chase something else then yeah like then i'll do that but just because, like, well, we should have something bigger and do more and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I don't really care. Like, I just don't buy into that, right? But I don't buy into a lot of stuff that some other people buy into. I don't buy into designer crap. Like, I don't chase design or anything. You know, do I have some designer stuff? Yeah, primarily because my wife bought it for me, to be honest. But I just, like, I just don't care about this thing about more all the time. I'm, I'm happy. I, I, you know, I, I don't really... I don't know. I don't know. It's weird, but it's just like, it's just who I am. I just like that. That's a priority in my life because I enjoy doing it and I'm going to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. It It's cool that like your default, if you're dropping the ball somewhere, like you mentioned, your default isn't, oh, I'm dropping the ball because I'm spending time at the gym or this, you know, I think you're dialed in enough that you know you're, you're dropping the ball because you're not working effectively enough in the time that you're supposed to be for that thing. Yeah. I'll get, so when I start when I'm in the weeds, well, you've seen me here. Like I'll get some, I'll get a little bit pissy sometimes, right? Not often, but like there'll be sometimes. Like there's been the odd time where you're like, hey man, like can you help? Like you know, uh, can I just run something past you? Or I need you to review this. I'm like, I'm like, hey man, like I got like I'm I'm in way over my head right now. Like yeah. I got I, I got nothing. Like you got to You got to give me time. Oh, you get the eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I'm breaking. Like, is this guy gonna hit me right now? Yeah. No, I'm just looking at you like. Uh, I'm trying to decide like how quickly I can answer it because I I have a bad habit of I'll try to help. And then I'll get sucked into it. And it's not a two-minute thing. It's a 20-minute thing. And then it takes away from what I have to do. Mm-hmm. So when I am really have these deadlines, it's like, I'm either not here, I'm working elsewhere. Or it's like, my door's closed. And I'm like, I need to just focus on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and I think that's really the one thing I've noticed is when I get a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of stuff, if I'm behind or I feel like I'm in the weeds, I get pissed. And I use that emotion to then recaliber, recalibrate, sorry, where I'm at and come up with a plan for like the next few days or how I need to, you know, what needs to be done and, and in what order and how, the focus I need to get this thing done to get me out of that position. Because I, I 100% get in the weeds sometimes, like I think everyone does. You know, so, I mean, it'd be nice if everything that comes your way comes in this methodical order, but sometimes it's just all dumped on you and so other times it's, you know, there's not as much to handle. So, um, and then it, I just got to adjust sometimes in, into how I do things and, you know, to get, to get everything done. Mm. That was something I was going to bring up is you don't seem to struggle with the, ability to say no to someone or something like at all and i think that actually really serves you and i think a lot of people in life struggle to say no i think i struggle to say no to people that um I'm, maybe i'm closer to so like if we use a work example it's like anyone here so if yourself or keith ashley you know how like if anyone's coming to me like hey you know I'm like, even sometimes I'm like, ah, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. And then I'm just like, okay, here, let's just do it. So like, yeah, I yeah. struggle to say no to you guys, mm. right? Um, but to some people that are just outside, you know, 
whatever outsiders or people I don't see on a regular basis and they're like oh I just need you to review something or I have an opportunity for you I'm just like no like I just don't have time for that right now mm-hmm. and maybe I've missed out on some opportunities because of it maybe I haven't I don't know but things need to be time isn't infinite and you need to prioritize in my opinion you need to prioritize what you put your time on because you don't get it back yeah it seems like you just really understand the concept that like yeah you you know time is limited and you know what your priorities are so well that if it doesn't fit in, it's a no. And you don't f- you don't feel guilty about it. And that's actually like a bit of a superpower, I think. Like Maybe. I think I've just maybe made mistakes along the way. Like I've probably made more mistakes along the way about wasting my time on things I probably didn't need to look at. Like chasing shiny objects. And maybe over time I've realized that there's more value in following the kind of foundational pieces that maybe have got me here or that I believe in versus chasing the shiny object because the shiny object is going to be there afterwards and I don't need to do it. And then I just worry about what needs to get done. And then when there's time, you go back and you can revisit the shiny object, but they very rarely turn out to be anything. Mm -hmm. Has anything ever turned out to be something? that I'm sure it has. I just, I don't even know. Like, I can't remember. Did Bitcoin feel like a shiny object at first? And then over time, you've you've grown to have a place for it in your portfolio and your life? It didn't. I, I, I learned about uh, Bitcoin or really kind of, yeah, it was Bitcoin specifically, actually, at a lunch um, with a friend who was running a software company downtown. I'll never forget. He's like, oh, let's go for lunch. And I'm like, okay. I went and met him in his office. And he said, uh, I made reservations to Canoe. And I'm like, Canoe? I'm like, what the heck, man? We could go to like Jack Astor as far as I care, right? So, but anyways, we're, we're, so we're sitting up in Canoe and he was telling me about, um, he's like, about the Bitcoin thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in it. Like I just, not that I was really like, I didn't know anything about it, but I just was interested in understanding the technology. Cause I'm like, this is, seems interesting to me. So I, I want to do something with it. And he suggested, he suggested to me just buy some, just so you just have some, just to understand it. Like we were talking like a thousand bucks or so, like, like not, a, not a lot. Right. And, um, I remember wanting to do it and I went home and I started looking at some stuff and I, I, I wanted to, um, I, I tried to buy some, I couldn't figure it out the way the exchanges were made at that time and things like that. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I just kind of, I tried once or twice and just kind of let it fall off. Um, but I had always been interested in it. And I mentioned it to Tom a couple times. I mentioned it to Tom and he was le- like, he, you know, he was, wasn't dismissive of it. He's like, yeah, no, like you sh- we should look at it or something like we should think about it. I'm like, yeah, I just really want to do it. And, um, but I just never got around to it. And then eventually, uh, it was when we got serious about it was, was when, when COVID hit and we had the time and then we started reading a couple of reports about it. And then, then that, that started changing everything for us. Yeah, and you guys also came at it from like the hard money angle and already understood investing in gold and silver and the purpose of that for your portfolios and having insurance on the monetary system and something out of the financial system. And so Bitcoin is is an extension of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's not like an entirely that. new shiny object. It's just a new form of money that had emerged. Yeah. 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 I have I have different views on that a little bit than 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 than. than What's your view I, on I that? Just, I know I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I just, it's just more complex because sometimes I look back and I'm like, yeah, I had the gold, but the gold didn't really, 
keep up with the inflation up to this point. And I really believe it's a manipulated market and there's a lot of proof to seem that it is, you know, because of the paper gold price and things like that. But 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 regardless, so I'm like, I see that, but then I saw the assets working, so I understand the value of the assets there. Um, and then, you know, I'm just always hesitate to, because of what I've seen them do with with different things in the economy and, and, and different markets and, and fix certain markets and stuff, I just wonder how effective it's going to be or how long they can kick the can down the road because I think it's longer than I think some people in the Bitcoin space or a lot of the podcast things that I listen to I just think it's longer and I don't I have nothing to base it off of but it's just you know I think a lot of people are surprised they've got to this point and so what's to say that they can't go another 10 15 20 years so I'm not sure what the case would be yeah, like Robert Kiyosaki's been calling for everything to crash and burn for, I don't know, the last 20 years. And it seems like every time there's a new little crisis, like he's out there like, this is it. There's all, yeah. So there's always something. And then, you know, yeah. So there's just always something. So I'm just not, I'm not sold on it. But now, I, but having said that, I, I'm I, sorry, I'm not sold on just, I just don't know where things are going to go. Right. But do I, would I rather own something like that rather than just have some money parked in a, bank account at a TD bank or, or, or any Canadian bank. Yeah, I, I would. And that's why I do, you know, but, I, but it'll be interesting to see where it goes. So I asked Tom this question on the podcast that we did, and it was basically what's freaking you out the most about the economy right now. What, what would your answer be to that? I think the, I think we're in for a little bit of hurt this fall. That's what I, that's what I think. I'm just curious to see what it's going to be like in terms of interest rates. Um, in terms of the economy is going to grind to a halt, and I don't know what it's going to be like. I think these interest rates are having more of an effect than they 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 make these decisions often. It seems like on on backwards looking data, and I think when you talk to people on the streets, so if you talk to business owners and you talk to you know investors and entrepreneurs or you know anyone. Uh, but anyone at the, just anyone, you know, you don't need to be an investor. Entrepreneur. Anyone with a mortgage. You could, you could, yeah, anyone with a mortgage. Someone looking to rent a new home. Any, I was going to say anyone at the grocery store, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're impacting people and they're impacting people in a, in a, in a decent way. And I think the economy is going to ground to grind to a halt a little bit faster than, than they think. And then things get really interesting if that happens, because then what happens? Because if it's like other downturns, what they have to do to get the economy going again is almost slightly scary because of the amount of debt already in the system. So if you look at Toronto real estate as an example, uh, it, it, it just as, as a portion of the market, not as an example, but you know, it seems really certain that we have a little bit of a supply and demand imbalance some people we can argue where the you know, how much of the imbalance but based on what we see on the streets it seems pretty certain there's some sort of imbalance there now if they start cutting rates all of a sudden to try to spur the economy forward or if there's some sort of financial cracks that happen like we saw just this spring um, with the US banking sector what we what, what and what we saw last fall with the UK bonds right the gilts um, when if that's something like that happens and they have to start kind of like injecting liquidity into the system it takes more liquidity each time they do this it starts to get into a little bit of a 
uncertain scenario that could be in some cases a little bit kind of not scary but but the the reaction will cause a really it would be really big and and it, and it would it would impact everyone and we'd see it in a lot of ways and it could be very inflationary for things like we don't know exactly where that goes and that can be interesting times and that's just being basing that off history and where it's when it's happened in other places and i'm just i think it's i might actually be coming and i'm like because i don't see how it doesn't come do you worry personally how that will affect you or are you more so worried for just the general population or family and friends i think just in general like in general obviously there's like i'm i I think about it personally too too because i want to do certain things to kind of shore up my you know my own personal situations in any case for that type of for those types of scenarios but i think you've got to you know just just people in general everything we've done up to this point for the last i don't i don't know the exact number of years well really it's probably since the gold standards but you know it's really accelerated since we got rid of the gold standards sorry but it's really accelerated over the last couple decades it's really wiping out the middle class right We're, we're creating two classes of people one is the asset owners and one is the non asset owners and the people in the middle that are caught in the middle with good incomes and no assets, they either fall down or they end up gaining assets and they go up. And it's, it's happened now. You've seen the graphs we've done and shared and stuff. And it's just like uh, you, you can't really make an argument any other way. Like that's that's what's happened. So if that continues, we're going to further the erosion of the middle class and have a greater divide between two classes of people. And I just don't think it's good overall. I think it creates a lot of problems, and I think it's it's problems that it, it's the root of problems. Uh, it's 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 a root of some problems people don't talk about, and it's a lot of inequality. It's it's a lot of uh, you know just the structure of society. A lot of things are messed up because of the way that system's structured, and because of these these responses that that we're doing with from the and the, the way we change the money system and the rules in the money system. And I think it really messes things up. So that's kind of what in the short term that's. I don't know if worried is the right word. I'm really interested to see what happens because I think it has to happen in the next six months. Like I think we're going to feel the impacts of these in the next six months. And I don't think it's going to be as long as, as what some people forecast. Like, oh, it's just going to be this relatively soft little impact. No one's going to really know what's going on. We're going to float into next year. Then we're just going to magically reduce the interest rates little by little just to spur the economy. And it's just going to get rolling again. And everything's going to f- turn out fine. I'm like, I don't know. I've never seen anything like that happen before. It hasn't happened before. We just rose rates at a, at a historic pace. Never before have you risen have rates gone up that by that percentage over that period of time never before so we're thinking that we're just all smart enough that we can hike them as much as possible that way and that it's just going to have this gradual little impact and everyone's going to be okay with it so that's kind of what i'm what i'm looking at it does feel like every little rate crank like you feel the emotions of everybody in society just kind of crank up a little bit too, like the stress and tension and what's going to happen next. Yeah, and maybe they, maybe they back off and they ease off and maybe it doesn't, that what I'm thinking might be coming down the pipe doesn't happen. And if it doesn't, that's great. Yeah, like, I, I hope it doesn't, mm-hmm. right? But in any case, in either way I, I look at it, I'm still, I just, I, I want assets for myself. Yeah. Like in my family. That's I, I don't I don't see another way. I try to listen to things and read things that challenge 
my thinking because I want to be proven wrong. And it's why I, I, some people look at me as devil's advocate sometimes when I'm asking questions, but it's because I'm trying to understand, I will ask the other side because I want to understand both sides of the situation and then make my decision based on that. We've had this discussion about a few things yeah. before with how far I'll go to understand both sides. But, um, but I, can't, I, I can't see a reason, like I can't, no, no one's given me a good reason. Maybe someone can email us or let me know. I, uh, to not own assets and instead keep savings in dollars. I just don't get it. Long term, long term. If someone's going to talk to me, well, in three months this might happen. Yeah, I'm not talking three months. I'm talking, hey, my kids are 12. How do I protect my kids 20 years from now? Do I start a savings account for them or do I do something else with that money? And no one's been able to convince me any other way that I shouldn't be doing something else with that money. Yeah, that's always like the missing big elephant in the room with those types of discussions is how long term are you thinking? Yeah. What time frame are we talking about? Because that just changes the whole discussion. Yeah, and I think a lot of people in today's world, we're so, everything's instant gratification. So many people were in trader mentality. I just, I've always sucked. Anytime, look, if anyone wants stock advice for a good trade, don't call me ever. If you want to learn how to make money so you have a good story to tell at a backyard barbecue about how stupid you were with the stock, then you can call me. I'll tell you exactly what to do. I'm great at that. Yeah, right? we'll call you and get your advice and then do the opposite. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I'm the worst <laughs> trader in the world. I, 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 I get emotional and I'm very good at buying high and selling low. So that's like really good. But uh, for so I'm just only interested in the long-term stuff. Mm. Yeah. I think we can wrap with um, whoever deals with the most shit wins. Where did that come from and has it changed? Yeah, I don't know where it came from. I don't. I just, I, I just kind of said it one day. I think it was just probably, I do, a, it's weird. When I drive, um, I just zone out. Not in an unsafe way, but it's just, I, it's when I do a lot of thinking and just kind of reflecting as to what's going on. And uh, I guess I just looked around and I just felt like, this was early on, I just felt like we were dealing with a lot of crap. There was a lot of stuff going on. And then I thought about people I knew who I, I don't like the word successful, you know, um, I don't know if I thought they were successful. It's not even just from a financial standpoint either, but just who I just, I just respected. I thought, you know, that they kind of had created something good for themselves in whatever place they were in life, right? And every one that I had seen, I'm like, wow, they all had to battle. Like once I got to know them and, and speak to them, because from the outside looking in, the grass is always greener. It's always, always greener on the other side. But when I got to know these people and they told me about all the challenges they faced and, you know, the hurdles they had to overcome and, and just like the, just, you know, the crazy things they had to do to make things work. Everyone was dealing with crap. Every single one. And I'm like, I get, I get it. That's what it is. It's, it's you become a more, more resourceful person. If you're able to deal with like a level one pile of crap, well, you're level one resourceful. But if you can deal with a level four pile of crap, you're now level four resourceful. You have a bigger shovel. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. You can deal with more shit. You got bigger arms. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. So, you know, for a while, Tom and I looked at, at each other and we're like, look, we just got to create bigger problems for ourselves. We got to stop worrying about the little stuff and we just got to create bigger problems for ourselves. And then if we can focus on, create, on fixing or tackling those bigger problems, there's more opportunity there for us. So it's those bigger piles of shit that matter. The little ones don't matter. They end up taking care of themselves. Mm -hmm. As much as you feel like they have to they have to be handled, a lot of them can just be left and they just end up disappearing, mm -hmm. right? So I think it was just kind of seeing that, it's seeing that. And it's, it's also led me to believe that anyone I meet who 
who will communicate that they have it all put together and they've figured everything out and they're not facing any challenges and everything's the best. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm like, I just, I don't even trust them. If, if someone is like, you know, they're like, they got it all figured out. I just think they're, they're lying. They're lying. Cause I've never met someone that has, you know, established themselves in a sustained way that has ever communicated that's been the case. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's someone out there. I don't know who it is. But everyone I know has been struggling with something. I don't mean struggling in a bad way, like it's major problems, but they're, they're just always like, yeah, was, this was a crappy situation. I had to handle this or, you know, something else came up. So I think that's where it came from. I think there's nothing wrong with, yeah, you're, you know, in a crappy situation right now and you just deal with that because, and then it, it makes you grow as a person because the next time that situation comes up, you're like, I got it. It's no problem. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's, that's where it came from. I, I believe it to this day. I believe it to this day. Um, it doesn't mean I want to deal with the shit when it comes up, just for the record. <laughs> but I still believe yeah. it to this day. No, it always comes to my mind when I am dealing with a bunch of shit. Well, you just dealt sometimes with sometimes physically, like, yeah. like <laughs> yeah, yeah. actual human shit. Like, well, yeah, I mean, I've had to deal with that too. But we, Tom's told that story enough. We don't yeah. talk about that one. But we don't. Uh, but uh, but look, recently you just bit off more than you could chew, really, more than you could chew comfortably, yes. right? So, in in my language, you'd be like dealing with a pile of shit. But now you've dealt with the majority of it and you're on the other side of it and you've been rewarded for it. And I think the reward is there and you're kind of happy about it. Oh, for sure. Right. So, I mean, yeah, so that's the win for you. Whereas a lot of other people would have never done that and they would never be in the position you were in now on the other side of it. And they would just complain that they couldn't, I don't know, whatever the term was, get ahead or, you know, whatever, whatever they were looking for, they would complain about something, but they didn't put themselves in the position to deal with the shit. And if you're not going to deal with it, you don't get the reward for it. Simple as that. Yeah. Cool, man. I think we can wrap with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for coming on. It's funny. My dad uh, used to drive around my whole life, no music on in the car, just silent. And I just thought he was like a psycho because I always wanted music on like radio, like something. So we were always trying to play music. And uh, now that I'm older and I have more responsibilities and my head's always swimming with different things, I get it. Like I'll just drive around, you know, sometimes the barrier St. Catharines from doing fills, just no music on nothing. And just thinking, just thinking. And I get there. I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't even have anything on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can do that. I can definitely drive more with silence than I would ever when I was younger, for sure. But I can even, I'll, I'll tune. Here's the downside of it because I zone out when I'm driving a lot. So like even with my kids and my wife, I'll just start thinking. Yeah. And I have to make a conscious effort to stop thinking and communicate. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely a downside to it. I don't know what it is. As soon as I start driving, I just kind of like zone. I just start thinking about other stuff. And I think it's like being it. in the shower. You get those shower thoughts. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you just finally have time to yourself to think. And everything you've been kind of, you haven't been able to process comes up. I think it might be that. I think it's one of the few places that we have now where we're not bombarding ourselves with input. Exactly. You know, there's not a screen in front of us. We're just there and we're thinking just like sometimes, I mean, I know you, you walk somewhat, I don't know if you're still walking regularly or not, but yeah. you work for a yeah, while. Yeah. Um, often I'll listen to podcasts. Sometimes I won't mm-hmm. and I'll just, I'll just walk and I'll just think. And I'm like, it's weird. Yeah. You know, it's weird, but it's good. It's like, it's good in a way. It's just how humans live for yeah. a million years until podcasts came out like 10 years ago and Walkmans, but it feels weird now. Totally. Yeah, it does feel weird, but it's like, it's like a good habit to get into here and there, but it's, it's, it's almost strange that it feels weird. Yeah. But it's been, it's been effective for sure. Yeah. Just getting out more actually has been effective too. 
I find just, just for me, just, just the habit of forcing myself for a couple short walks every day has been really game changing, just mentally, for mental clarity, game changing for me. Mm. Yeah, it is big. Cool, man. Yeah, Okay. thanks, Anthony. Yeah, thanks, Nick. So a big thank you to Nick for sharing his story and some great advice there. He had some great insights that really hit home for me. I love how militant he is and sticking to his priorities in life. And I really liked his insight into how buying that Croatian vacation property forced him to take time out with his family every year. If you got something valuable from this episode or any other episode on this show, please do us a huge favor and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast player, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other streaming service with the ability to leave reviews. A five-star review would be much appreciated and also help us grow the show to more listeners and attract more top-notch guests. Thanks for listening as always and hope to catch you on the next episode.